So I'm going to talk about worship this morning. And I, I want to share, years ago, Shannon and I were in a church, the church that we met in, actually. And this, this happened even before we met. And the church had sent a missionary team to, uh, to Africa. And most of the people had never been to Africa. They were going for 21 days. And as a part of that missions trip, they were going to do some, some kind of sightseeing and some touring and, and take advantage of the fact that they were going to a part of the world they had never been to before. And the very last day that this missions team from the church made up, well, it was about 20 people, all kind of a cross-section. A couple of teens went, but mostly it was, it was adults. And uh, some of them were older and retired, and some were younger. And the last day that this, that this group was there, now they just shared this story. I didn't get to go with them. The last day they were there, they went to this wildlife sanctuary. So they went to a place where they actually had African animals in kind of a, a sanctuary environment so the people could see them. They weren't allowed to touch them and, and play with them or anything, but they could see them kind of in a, in a natural habitat. And then at the, after that, they were going to take like a, a little bus safari through part of the jungle and, and get to see even some more stuff. And while they were there, as they were getting ready to tour, and this was kind of their last stop on their way to the airport, one of the people that worked at the sanctuary told them, when you are near the lions, the lions were all caged up, but when you are near the lions, don't make eye contact with them, because to a lion, if you make eye contact with them when you're close to them, they will sense that as you are, you are being aggressive with them. You are trying to dominate them, and they, they might not react very nicely to that. So don't, as you get closer to them, don't stare at them right in the eye. And the other thing you don't want to do with the lions is when you are close to them, you do not want to turn your back on them fully because they interpret that as a sign of submission, that you are afraid of them and that you are acknowledging that they are the ones in charge, and if you turn your back on the lions, the lion will then mark its territory upon you. Does anybody have a cat at home? You know how a cat marks its territory? It doesn't, like, initial its name with a, with a marker or anything. The lion will pee on you to mark its territory. And they said, you don't want that to happen, so don't turn your back on lions. Well, one of the ladies forgot. She just wasn't paying attention, or maybe she was paying too much attention to the people she was with and not to where she was standing, and she turned her back on one of the lions, and the lion peed on her. Now, this was not the first time this had happened, and the, the, the sanctuary, they had a place where she could change clothes, and she could shower, and fortunately, she had her luggage with her. They were on their way to the airport after that, so she had clothes that she could change into, and so she was able to get cleaned up, and, and I mean, she didn't laugh about it when it happened, but by the time she got, she got kind of cleaned up, she was laughing about it like everybody else in the group, because you know how church folks are, and everybody is kind of standing around and, and talking about who gets to tell this story when they get back to everybody. And, and as they're doing that, and they're talking to some of the people that work there at the sanctuary, and somebody made the comment about how would her dogs react to that scent because she had three German shepherds, pretty big dogs. And one of the guys at the, the sanctuary there said, he's, well, I know how the dogs will react to that scent, but 
why don't you expose them to that scent a little bit under the clothes that that happened to? We've bagged them up and sealed them up for you to, to put in your luggage and take home. But when you get home, why don't you expose them to that scent a little bit and then write me a letter and tell me what happened? This was email existed then, but it wasn't like it is now with smartphones and everything. This was back when writing a letter and putting a stamp on it was still a, a viable way to communicate with people. So, so she did that. When she got home and, and her and her husband got the dogs out of the kennel and everything, and, and they were back getting settled in and they're unpacking, she broke the seal on, on those clothes, and all three dogs were in the room. And they immediately began to whimper and shake, and they ran from the room, ran from the house into the back corner of the yard where they were cowering in the back corner of the yard against the fence as far away from those clothes as they could get. Now, those dogs had never encountered a lion. They'd never met a lion. Nobody ever sat down with the dogs and explained what a lion was. Nobody ever showed them a video of how a lion acts. But they instinctively caught that scent of something that they realized was a genuine predator and something that was a genuine threat to them. Without having to be told, without having to be educated, they immediately knew this was not something that they wanted to fool with. And I share that story because I think when it comes to worship, we spend too much time thinking about each other, thinking about ourselves, instead of thinking about God. God genuinely knows what we're all about. God doesn't need for us to put on a show to show him that we are connected to him. He doesn't need for us to look interested in order to know that we're interested. God knows our hearts, and he can see past all of, of, of what we do to fool other people, of what we do sometimes to fool ourselves. He can see right past that, and, and we spend a lot of time thinking about kind of the different ways that we can worship. We think about sometimes those different postures we can take. And, and some people can worship very deeply as they, as they sit still and kind of stare at the floor in front of them. And it looks like they're totally disengaged from what's going on around them. But instead, they're, they're connected very deeply to God in that moment. Other people can be in the front row and they can have their hands in the air. And they've got tears on their cheeks and they're, they're swaying back and forth with their eyes closed. And they look like the most spiritual thing that ever walked through Keystone Heights. When in reality, they're really busy thinking about what they're going to order at Johnny's as soon as they get out of church. They're busy thinking about what's going to happen at work on Tuesday. And they're, they're already thinking of the conference call and what they're going to tell their boss. And what they're going to tell the people that work for them. They're busy thinking about what's going to happen in school on Monday and, and did I get that book report done or not. They're busy, connected anywhere, but where it looks like they're connected. God knows where we're connected and what's genuine and what's authentic and what's real. But we sometimes get very caught up in worrying about what, what other people will think and what it will look like for other people. I've, I've had people who... They, they want to sit and make a connection with God, but they're afraid that if they sit, people in the church are going to look at him and think, well, yeah, he's not plugged into what's happening here. Looks like he could care less. 
and other people want to have their hands in the air because they want, hey, everybody, look look at me. I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm connected to God. I'm, I'm doing a good Christian thing right now in this moment. And I think none of that matters. I think what's in our heart as we connect to God, I think that is, is what is most important. And I want to talk about our heart this morning. I want to talk about the reality of our worship posture. And I'm not talking about the way we stand or the way we sit. But I'm talking about the way we live, that posture. In, uh, in Acts chapter 8, we've got this great story. If I turn to the right book, we have a great story. Acts chapter 8, and I'm sure you've heard this. Uh, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and the angel said, Get ready and go south on the road that leads down to Gaza from Jerusalem, the road that goes through the desert. So Philip got ready and he went, and on the road he saw a man from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch and an important official in the service of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was responsible for taking care of all her money. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was on his way home. He was sitting in his chariot reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. So he went toward the chariot, and he heard the man reading from Isaiah the prophet. So Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And the man answered, how can I understand? I need somebody to explain this to me. Then he invited Philip to climb in and sit with him. The the part of the scriptures he was reading was this. He was like a sheep being led to the butcher. He was like a lamb that makes no sound as its wool is being cut off. He said nothing. He was shamed and all his rights were taken away. His life on earth has ended, so there will be no story about his descendants. The official said to Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? Philip began to speak. He started with this same scripture and he told the man the good news about Jesus. So the guy's reading from the Old Testament and he doesn't fully understand what he's reading. He knows what all the words mean, but he doesn't really grasp what is, what is the point of this. And I'm sure some of us can relate. We're reading our Bible. We know what all those words mean. We don't need the words defined, but we're not really sure what does the story mean. And so he's asking Philip to explain it. Well, Philip does. And Philip tells him, well, that's, that's from the Old Testament, but it's all about this guy named Jesus who was crucified. And so he explains all about Jesus. So as they are traveling down the road, back into the scripture, while they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. And the official said, look, here is water. What is stopping me from being baptized? Then the official ordered the chariot to a stop. Both Philip and the official went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. See, he was prompted. This Ethiopian official comes to know who Jesus is because Philip shares his faith and explains that to him. And they're, they're riding down the road in this, in this chariot, and he sees water. And he says, you know, what's going to stop me from being baptized? I need to be baptized. That's, that's my next step in faith. I need to get baptized. Immediate obedience. Now, how many people in this room who are willing to admit to it, because I'll bet it's all of us, have felt prompted by God to do something? As a believer, you just, you know for a fact at some point in your day, 
exactly what God wants you to do. He wants you to go talk to somebody, or He wants you to stop doing something, or He wants you to start doing something. You know for a fact that God wants you to do something. And when we obey that immediately, when we have immediate obedience to God's prompting in our heart, that is an act of worship. Now, the way most of us, the way I often obey, is I take this thing that God is prompting me to do, and, and I kind of start asking all these internal questions like, okay, that's, that, that sounds like a great idea, God. What a godly thing that would be for me to do. And I'm, I'm totally going to do that as soon as I'm done with this. Or I'm going to do that if I have time later this afternoon. Or I'm going to do that if another believer joins me in doing it. Or I see, even better, another believer doing it first, then I will join them. I'm going to obey, but I want to do it on my timetable. And I want to do it with, with my own rules and, and my own guidelines wrapped around it. I desire to obey immediately, but I also desire to not interrupt my routine. I also desire to, to, to let what Mark is doing stay important. And that immediate obedience, that, that is what worship is. I was uh, talking to Steve this week, our pastor, and we were talking about another pastor that, that we both know that is, is no longer living in uh, Keystone Heights. And he had shared the story of he was walking down the street when he was in college. He went to college in, Indi- in uh, California. And he's in California, and he's walking down the street. He's going to a Christian college. And he had got, he was, he was a brand new college student, 18, 19 years old. And, and his desire was to serve God. And he had a little bit of extra money in his pocket. His grandmother had sent him some money for his birthday or something. And he's got just a little bit extra money in his pocket, extra 10 or $20. And he's walking down the street and, and he sees this homeless guy. And he just feels this prompting from God, you know, that guy needs the money more than you do. Why don't you give it to him? And so he did. So he gives this homeless guy $10 or $20, not enough money to change his life, not enough money to, to move somewhere and start over, but enough money to get something to eat. And, and he felt like, like this was something God prompted me to do, and I just I had to do it. Didn't matter who saw it, didn't matter who knew, didn't matter anything about it, except that's what God wanted me to do. So I obeyed, and I was, I was able to obey because I had extra money in my pocket. That's worship, when you can just immediately do what you know God wants you to do without spending time thinking about, okay, who's going to see me? Who's going to know? Am I going to get credit for this? Can I do it? Can I afford to do it? What will people think tomorrow? Without thinking about any of that, just, just following God and obeying immediately. That's worship. And, and the real worship is obeying that with enthusiasm. You notice the Ethiopian in the scripture said, hey, there's water. Stop the chariot. I want to get baptized. He didn't look at the water and say, you know, I think I kind of probably should get baptized someday. Maybe. Maybe today. What do you think? Maybe today? 
Maybe we should stop. Maybe we should keep going. Maybe there's better water if we go a little bit. Or maybe there's no water if we go on a little bit, and then I will have lost my chance, but it's not really my fault because there's no more water. He enthusiastically obeyed immediately. And how many of us can make excuses to God about why we don't do something immediately? Because, well, I I can't right now. It's not convenient. I've got other things to do. We have obedient intentions, but not immediate results. And when you obey immediately, that is one of the ways as a believer that you worship God. When you just follow God's leading and let God be in charge. In Luke chapter 4, and we've heard this story, I know, the temptation of Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan River, and the Spirit led him into the desert. There the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing during this time, and when it was finished, he was very hungry. Now there's kind of an obvious statement, isn't there? 40 days without food, and when when those 40 days were finished, he was very hungry. If I went 40 hours without food, everybody would know. You wouldn't even have to know me very well to know I was hungry. You could just look at me and say, that's a hungry guy right there. It wouldn't even take 40 hours. Sometimes I can hardly go 40 minutes before I get hungry. I get hungry in the middle of a meal sometimes. He was very hungry. And you know when you are Have you ever been grocery shopping when you're hungry? And you just want to put everything in that cart. Everything looks good. Have you ever been hungry driving down the road? Every restaurant looks good. And, and everything they serve just sounds amazing. Well, Jesus was very hungry. And he wanted something to eat so badly. We can identify with that, right? And the, the devil comes to him and the devil said, If you are the Son of God, tell this rock to become bread. And Jesus answered, The Scriptures say it is not just bread that keeps people alive. So he was able to answer with Scripture. Not because he was so hungry, the Lord gave him wisdom in his hunger, but because he had just spent 40 days with God and he gave something up and replaced what he had given up with God. He, he, he stopped eating. He didn't go without eating because there was no food. He didn't go without eating because there was food, but just nothing he really liked. He didn't go without eating to impress the people around him. He was all alone. He went without eating, even though he was hungry, because he wanted to replace that time spent eating with time spent with his father. And the result of that is he was able to draw closer to God by giving something up And he was able to draw closer to God. And when temptation shows up and Satan says, hey, you're hungry. I know you're hungry. Turn that rock into bread. Have you ever like gone into Subway and you've smelled that fresh baked bread? Have you ever gone in there when you're hungry and you smell that fresh baked bread? I mean, that's talk about temptation. I mean, I almost weep when I smell that. I get so excited. Turn these rocks into bread. 
And he answers with Scripture. He defends that temptation by relying on God's Word. Not because he wasn't hungry. Not because, well, is the bread going to be gluten-free? I'm trying to, I'm trying to watch that. What, what kind of bread is it? What do we have to go on the bread? He was able to defend that because he was close to God. Not because he wasn't hungry in that moment. Giving something up allowed him to draw close to God. Giving something up can be an act of worship. Replacing something with time with God is absolutely an act of worship. How many of you, when, when life tempts you in a, a moment of road rage or in a, in a, in a moment of, of short temper with your spouse or in a moment just to cut a corner and get something done, even though you know that's not the way you should do it, but that's just the quickest, easiest way. When you are tempted in that moment, how many of you rely on memorized Scripture to deal with that? How many of us just give in and kind of bark at somebody or honk our horn or cut that corner instead of relying on that Scripture? Maybe we would be able to rely on that Scripture a little bit more if we spent more time pressing into God and giving something up. So what can you give up? I'm, I'm willing to bet as soon as I start talking about giving something up, everybody automatically knew in their head what that thing should be. Some of us, it's something sinful, and we know, well, i got to cut that out, i got to get rid of that. But even stuff that's, that's not sinful, she's making a break for it. <laughs> You did good. You were quick, Eric. (laughs) How many of us knew immediately what in our life we could cut out, we should cut out, in order to give God more time? How many of us have felt that prompting from God about giving something up to have more time for Him? And it doesn't even have to be something sinful. It wasn't sinful for Jesus to eat a meal but he gave up eating to draw closer to God. What should we give up? And, you know, a lot of us as believers, we are totally willing to do that. But again, we want to kind of put our our own rules around that. I will, I will often pray, God, what can I, what can I add in? What can I take out of my life in order to have more time for you? And I will freely admit to you that the small print going on in the back of my mind while I make that prayer, I, if you know me very well at all, you know I, I can't really stand what's on television. It, just, it, it doesn't entertain me, and, and as a Christian, a lot of it just sickens me. But I absolutely, I just love old television from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I've got a DVD collection of old TV shows, and, and that is what I just spend a lot of time watching. And I will be, God, what, what can I give up? to draw closer to you. And kind of the small print in the back of my mind is, Lord, I hope you're not prompting me to give up watching Columbo on DVD. I hope you are not prompting me to get rid of my Magnum PI DVDs. And Pastor Steve has already made it very clear that if God prompts me in that direction, I can just put them on his desk and he'll be very happy. But I don't want him to prompt me to give up something I love. And... 
I'll bet I'm not the only one in the room. I'll bet that's very typical. We're all willing to give up stuff for God, but what we really want to give up is stuff that we don't really love, that we don't really enjoy. You know, Lord, if you make me independently wealthy, I'll give up my job and have more time for you. Lord, if you if you give me a, a big screen TV, I'll get rid of that little TV in the bedroom. Lord, if you give me a brand new car, all paid for, I'll take those car payments and start giving them to the church. We kind of attach these, these little stipulations, the fine print, so to speak, when, when we want to give something up because we've got stuff we know we should give up or that we might should give up, but we don't really want to. What if God calls you to give up watching football? What if God calls you to give up your smartphone or social media or television or the Internet or your car? What if he calls you to give up your favorite hobby? What if he calls you to give up listening to the radio in your car and you're going to spend an hour driving to work every day without any music? You could spend that time connecting to God. But does that sound as fun as rolling the window down and turning the radio up? Maybe that's more spiritually healthy, but it doesn't sound fun. Giving up something that we enjoy to have more time with God is not only obedient, but it can be an act of worship. And God's going to reward that because if you want to draw close to Him... He is going to draw close to you. You are not going to be drawing closer to Him and feeling a void. When people say to me, you know, I want to believe in God, but I I just don't feel like He's there. I always tell them, pray as if you know for sure He's there. Read your Bible as if you know for sure He's there. Draw close to Him as if you know for sure He's there. Because He is. And you will start feeling Him. You will start experiencing that. But that's something you have to do. Are you willing to? Are you willing to worship in that way? In Second Samuel, and I, I love this, this picture of worship. Later, people told David, we know about King David, the Lord has blessed the family of Obed-Edom And everything he owns, because God's holy box is there. So David went, and he brought God's holy box from Obed-Edom's house. David was very happy and excited. When the men who carried the Lord's holy box had walked six steps, they stopped, and David sacrificed a bull and a fat calf. David was dancing in front of the Lord. Later on, when it, it talks about the holy box is being carried into the city, David was jumping and dancing and singing as they brought this holy box into the city. Now, does that seem necessarily like kingly behavior? Does that seem the way we expect a a dignified ruler to act? I am willing to bet that somebody who saw that looked at that and said to the person next to him, is that the great warrior hopping around and dancing and singing, that's the mighty warrior? 
That can't be. It's got to be a mistake. That's the king who's acting that way? In fact, if you read just a little further on, Saul's daughter actually said to him, that's not dignified. You can't act that way. And his answer to her was, in celebration of the Lord, I might get even more undignified than that. That might just be the tip of the iceberg. But I'm sure people talked. I'm sure people had kind of an an adverse reaction to that. I'm sure people remembered that for years. And every time he spoke something serious, I'm sure there was at least one person in the back of their mind who couldn't stop picturing, this is the guy hopping and dancing around and singing in the street like some kind of little kid on his way to McDonald's. I'm sure that stayed with people. But David was willing to celebrate God so intensely that he got outside of his comfort zone and didn't even think about his comfort zone. Are you willing to do that? I've asked myself that question a lot over the last couple weeks. Am I willing to do that? And you know what? Sometimes I am. And sometimes I hesitate. And sometimes I don't do it at all. That's an act of worship to get outside of your comfort zone and serve God. I'll bet on a Sunday morning when we have just opened up this altar and said, come on up and and pray during the last song. Come on up and spend some time with God. I can almost promise somewhere in this room is somebody who you know know God wants you to come up and spend some time, but you're kind of worried about what, what will people think? People will see me up there. What will I do when I get up there? Should I just stand there? Should I kneel down? Should I, what should I do? I might look kind of foolish. And you can ask yourself those questions and have that dialogue until the song is over and the pastor says, go and have a great day and we're all finished. And then you're kind of off the hook for having to obey because you kind of wondered about it long enough. I'm willing to bet there's somebody here that has seen somebody else up here praying. Somebody else in our church family who's hurting. And you have really just kind of felt like, well, I need to go up there, and I don't know him that well. I just kind of need to go up and and stand next to him and encourage him. And just let them know without even saying words, but just let them know you're going through something hard, and you're not going through it alone because we're family. And I'm here with you if you need anything. And you feel that prompting to go, but but you don't. Because you wonder what, what will that person think if I go up and and they're down there and they're praying and they're having our time and I put my hand down on their shoulder? What are they going to think? What if I go up there and and, and try to put a hand on their shoulder to be encouraging and Pastor Steve comes up to me and wants to ask, how come I'm not a member of the church? What am I doing up here trying to encourage somebody? What if Pastor Mark comes up and wants to give me some sort of a Bible quiz because I'm trying to be spiritual and maybe I'm not spiritual enough? What if somebody in the church knows that I didn't put anything in the offering basket next week. And, I, and I'm going to go up there and try to be spiritual, and they're going to come up to me and say, you know, you didn't, uh, you didn't pay anything last week, so you don't get to be spiritual right now. Go back to your seat. We, we worry about those things. We wonder about other people. We ignore what God wants us to do because we get caught up in worrying about other people instead of just getting outside of our comfort zone and doing what we know God wants us to do. Instead of just being like King David who said to to Saul's daughter, you haven't seen anything yet, I might get a lot less dignified than that. That might just be the beginning. 
the same pastor that I talked about a little earlier who saw the homeless guy and gave him 10 or $20 followed that story up immediately by, by telling me about a time that this was a few years later and he was in, in seminary, kind of like graduate school. By now he was married and he had a little, little baby at home and he's trying to finish paying off school and work and go into school full time and, and trying to figure out how to, to volunteer time to serve in a church. And, and it was a different street and a different homeless guy, but the same thing, he's walking down the street and he sees a homeless guy and he feels God prompt him, open your wallet, give that guy some money. He needs, he needs something to eat worse than you need that money. And he began to think in his head, well, wait a minute. I'm not entirely sure how we're going to pay rent in two weeks. I've got a car that needs to get to the mechanic, and it really needs some work. I've got a newborn at home. Sooner or later, we're going to need to buy more diapers. We need to keep buying food. I've got college, and that's not cheap. And I've got all of this stuff going on. And, and he began to have kind of that internal, that internal debate, not saying no to God, but all of the reasons why he might not be able to do it right, right there. And, and, and as he walked past the, the homeless guy, he took a turn and he went around the block. And, and he went around the block and he says, you know, if somebody had asked him, he'd have said, well, I'm going around the block to give myself more time to pray about this. But he very transparently confessed that he was going around the block in the hope that when he got back, the homeless guy would have, would have moved on somewhere else. And then he could say, God, I was going to give him the money, but he moved. And I couldn't find him. Or maybe he would come around the corner and, and there would be a, a church bus would have stopped and there would be a bunch of religious people ministering to the homeless guy. And he could say, you know, other, other believers got their first God and they took care of him. So I was able to hold on to the money in my pocket. And as far as you know, I was going to serve you and give him the money. But he didn't need it. But he came around the block, and the homeless guy was still sitting there, and there was nobody there ministering to him. So he did exactly what most good Christians would do. Walked around the block again. And he came around the corner again. And the homeless guy was still sitting there. And he just felt like, all right, God, I get the point. And I, this is what I should have done the first pass around. And he opened up his wallet and he gave the guy money, had a word of prayer with the guy, encouraged the guy a little bit, encouraged him to get something to eat. And, and then he went on, and, and there's no finish to the story that, you know, when he got home there was a great big check waiting for him or anything like that. Because when we obey God, we don't always get a reward. That's not why we obey. But he got outside of his comfort zone and, and, and he did obey. He did follow God's prompting. But he struggled with it like most all of us do. I know I certainly do. I can't tell you how many times in a week I feel God prompting me to start a conversation, to reach out to somebody, to, to have a word of prayer with somebody. And sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world, and, and, and I'll, I'll talk to somebody, and then later on I'll be kind of amazed, and I'll say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert, and I just went up and prayed with a stranger. That was really cool. And then other times I really drag my feet on it. And sometimes I drag my feet so long the opportunity is gone. We worry about getting outside of our comfort zone. What will other people think? 
How will other people react? How are we supposed to worship God if we're not willing to worship outside of our comfort zone? And I'm not talking about just Sunday morning worship. I'm talking about how do we worship in obedience? How do we worship in sacrifice on Tuesdays, on Thursdays, on Saturdays, on Sunday afternoon, when we'd really like just to sit in the chair and stare at the television? And maybe God's prompting us to turn off the television and do something else. You know, we kind of start in our head walking around the block because we want to find something else, some other way to honor God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 has got this really, really great couple of verses that I just love. Always be joyful, verse 16. Verse 17, never stop praying. Verse 18, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to to Christ Jesus. Always be praying. Always be thankful. What if we replace the word joyful? What if we replace the word prayer with worship? Always be worshiping. That doesn't mean walking down the street singing all the time. But what if we are always in a posture of worship? What if we are always ready to worship? And always means all the time, right? I was up here last night um, in my Bible, in these notes, doing some praying about this this morning, and I brought my phone charger with me, and I charged it right over here in this plug. And I did that because Friday night when I got home from work, I took my phone, and it was like dying, and I sat it down next to the phone charger, and I never plugged it in. So then yesterday, when I went to leave the house and come up here, I picked up my phone, and it had like 2% on it. And I was so disappointed because it had spent like 12 hours next to the phone charger. But I never plugged it in. And it's amazing how we treat God that way. Because we get the phone close to the charger, and it won't charge. And we put ourselves close to spiritual stuff, and then we wonder, how come we can't feel God? How come, how come nothing's happening? I'm not really worshiping. I'm just kind of getting close to where worship is. I talked to somebody right here in this sanctuary quite a while ago who told me that they don't really spend a lot of time reading their Bible, but they've got a Bible that they carry in their car. They leave it in the car 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that they don't ever have a traffic ticket or a traffic accident. But they don't ever spend any time reading their Bible. That's not worship. That's like kind of next to worship. You've got a Bible. But the next step is to open it up and read it and stop treating it like some sort of of magic lucky omen that you're going to keep in the car and protect you from traffic tickets and traffic accidents. And I promise you that doesn't work. It has been a lot of years since I've had a traffic ticket. But at least three times in my life, I've gotten traffic tickets on the way home from church with a Bible right next to me in the car. Not really since I've been married, but that's a, that's, we'll get into that another time. But trust me, having a Bible doesn't keep you from getting a speeding ticket. Holding on to a Bible doesn't keep you out of trouble. I know other people that they, they leave worship music playing. They, they turn their radio, the Christian radio station, and they leave it, it quietly playing in their house 24 hours a day 
so bad things don't happen in their house. And I don't really understand, is the Christian music scaring away burglars? I don't really understand that logic. We want to get close to spiritual stuff, but we don't really want to get spiritual ourselves sometimes. You know, nothing's going to charge that phone. Nothing charges it like plugging it in. That's what causes it to charge. And leaving it plugged in will charge it fully. I can't plug it in for 30 seconds and expect that that battery is not going to last me the rest of the week. You can't come to church on a Sunday morning and stand next to worship for an hour and then walk out of here and be and, and feel like you are spiritually equipped to tackle everything that's going to come at you this week. Somebody in this room, something's going to come at you this week that's going to be horrible. Some of you had that horrible thing show up this past week. Sometimes that horrible thing shows up on our way home from church. You can't just stand next to spiritual stuff and expect that you are fully charged. Worship is one of those things that will charge you. Honoring God will charge you if you are intentional about making that a part of your life. About being obedient to God as fast as you can. About stepping outside of your comfort zone to follow God. And that means saying no to things that you want to say yes to. That means saying yes to things that you don't want to do. Maybe you're being called to worship by giving something up. And maybe you need to turn off that television or put down that phone. Or, or give up all the time that you have invested in one of your hobbies and spend that time serving God in some way. Maybe you are called to incorporate that into worship the other six and a half days a week besides just the time you spend here on Sunday mornings. Just like you charge your phone every day, or at least you're supposed to if you're a little smarter than I am, You charge the phone every day so that it's ready to be used every day. Draw close to God every day so that you are ready to be used every day. So that you are ready to meet life every day. Because life meets us every day whether we're ready for it or not. And those unexpected bills and that that family drama and, and workplace stuff that happens that that hurts and that we struggle with. There are so many things around the corner for every one of us in this room that are not going to be pleasant and they're not going to be fun. And if we are connected to God, then we can answer those things with Scripture and we can answer those things with the peace of God and we can answer those things with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we forget about them as they fade into the past as we get through them. But if you're not connected to God, some of that stuff shows up and it just derails your life for years to come because you don't know how to handle it because you are not plugged in to God who can help you handle it. 